The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... Diabetes is exhausting enough. We don't need to have this negative why me attitude while we're managing it. Like, you can't do anything about it. This isn't something where you broke your foot and you get to go to physical therapy, you wear a cast, and you're fine in six, eight weeks. It's something you're going to deal with your whole life. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. I always say good afternoon. I don't know where you are and I don't know what time it is right now. Good morning, good night, good afternoon, wherever you are. Thank you so much for joining us or joining me and my guest for this episode of the podcast. And I'm going to start this off in a very honest and transparent way. I am just back from a walk and I'm kind of low right now. So as you guys, you can imagine, I'm not fully all there mentally right now as I'm doing this intro, but I felt, well, I thought to myself, maybe I should wait until my blood sugars come completely back up. I am able to function. I'm obviously not dangerously low. That would be a different story. But I thought to myself, why don't I wait until my blood sugar comes back up until I do this intro to this fantastic episode that I recorded recently with, with this fantastic guest. But then I thought to myself, do you know what? The people who listen to this podcast know what it's like to live with type 1 diabetes. So if there's ever going to be a listener or a collective audience that can relate to how I'm feeling right now, it's you. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to record it while I'm slightly low. See what comes out. But basically, I have that feeling right now. You know, when you feel as if you're not in your body, you're like not in this present moment. It's a very strange sensation. But as I said, if you live with type one, you can absolutely relate. But the guest that I had for this week's episode was phenomenal. And we got Kim on to do this episode with me following 
an email that she had actually sent to the podcast a while ago. And what I want to do is I want to actually just read out the email that Kim sent in to us just to give this episode a bit of context. So I'm going to read it out right now, what Kim had sent to us directly some time ago. Hi, Owen. I hope you're doing well. I'm sending you a note as I found your Instagram and podcast after recently being diagnosed at 35 with type 1 diabetes. I was looking for any and all resources to help navigate because my endo just gave me a range to stay in and pushed me on my merry way. I'm sure you listening may be able to relate to that. Your podcast has been so helpful and informative. Thank you. Delighted to hear it. I've been living with type 1 for about 10 weeks. So Kim had actually sent this a while ago. When we recorded the episode, she had, she's now been living with it, for, I think, for seven months by the time we got her onto the podcast. So I have been living with type 1 for about 10 weeks, and it has been a lot. As a super new type 1% warrior, I wanted to see if you would be interested in chatting with me. One thing I noticed is that a lot of the podcasts interview people who have had diabetes for a while, and it might be helpful to hear from someone who is fresh in it, how to digest, how to not overwhelm yourself, and how to not blame yourself, etc. A little bit about me. I live in the States, as in Kim. I live in the States and was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes on November 1st. It was actually by chance it was even found. Fortunately, I never spent any time in the hospital and was never super sick. I was actually the opposite. I felt great, but had this feeling that something wasn't right. Therefore, I went to both of my doctors to get full blood work done and no one would do it. They just kept testing my thyroid. I finally went to a hormone specialist and after three months, she told me to see an endo immediately because she knew I had type 1 diabetes. I had none of the common symptoms. I eat super clean and healthy, work out five to six days a week. I'm very thin. So you can imagine how blindsided I was by my diagnosis. It was actually funny how my endo told me I didn't need to change anything about my current lifestyle as I was doing, quote, unquote, everything right. Super annoying and frustrating to hear, right? My oldest brother, he is 14 years older than me and was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of nine. And he never took care of himself, in brackets, still doesn't actually. And I never realized how traumatic it was for me as a little girl to watch my parents carry him to the hospital because he let himself go so low and low enough to be into a coma. The mental aspect has been huge for me. All that to say, I would love to chat with you and share my story with others. The day after my diagnosis, I told my partner that I'm going to do whatever I can to help raise awareness and education and got the courage to send you an email to do just that. I look forward to hearing back from you, Kim. Firstly, that is an unbelievable email to receive to the podcast. And I know this intro is going on quite long, for quite long, I should say. And I just really, really, really enjoyed this episode to hear somebody speak as positively as Kim does about her diabetes is inspiring for any diabetic, let alone somebody who is recently diagnosed. Also, to continue with my transparency of this intro, <laughs> even though you've listened to me read out that email, 
<laughs> Graham, Graham has obviously tidied it up a lot because I give Graham a lot of stick on this podcast saying he can't read out an email without without making a mistake. It literally took me about 15 minutes just to read out the email Kim sent. Now I'm putting I'm putting that down to the fact that I am low right now. Um, and Graham, thank you for cleaning it up. And thank you from the listener for cleaning it up. I am going to stop waffling. I'm going to make sure my blood sugars are actually in an okay range and enjoy this episode as much as I really, really enjoyed recording it. Chat to you soon. As we were saying, Kim, the main thing that stood out to me with the first email that you sent to us was actually something you said yourself. And it was that the majority of the guests that we have on this podcast have inevitably Mm -hmm. been living with diabetes for quite some time, but you have been diagnosed just seven months ago. So how have things been? Um, it's been a challenge, um, especially because it was so out of the blue. Um, I didn't really have any symptoms. I never spent any time in the hospital, thankfully. Um, it, it was just me going, doing some routine blood work um, because I was having some other issues that were non-related to diabetes. And um, I was working with a hormone specialist and she did three rounds of blood and was like, my fasting glucose just kept... <laughs> going up and up and up. And, but you know, the first time my A1C was normal, uh, normal, like it was, I think it was a little high, probably like 5.8, um, probably so pre-diabetic. Um, and you know, she was a huge diabetes. I was like, no way I work out all the time. I eat super healthy. I have no symptoms. Uh, she was like, well, do you, are you drinking a lot of water? Do you go to the bathroom a lot? I'm like, I, do drink a lot of water, but I do it because I want to stay hydrated, right? They tell you to drink so much water and then in turn you go to the bathroom. So I was like, this isn't anything, you know, crazy. And then finally it was, you know, I, I got diagnosed in November. Um, I had an A1C of 12.5 and my fasting glucose was 247. Uh, so she, I was meeting with a hormone specialist. She was like, you know, I I can't let you leave my office without any type of insulin. Um, and I was like, insulin I, I literally was sitting in that chair like uh, wait you know what I mean it was just it was like an out-of-body experience uh thank god that my boyfriend was there with me because he was like taking notes and he was you know he was kind of out of it right like he was able to be that critical thinker and, and take notes and make sure we get all the things and I just remember going to the pharmacy and like getting an an insulin pen and I just was like what do I what do I do with this? Like I, I just was so lost and she just was like, okay, well you can do, how about we just start with six units at night? And I'm like, what unit? Like it just was this wild thing. And, and so then I finally, she was like, you need to go to an endocrinologist. So I finally got in a couple weeks later and I was so prepared for him to be like, she was wrong. You have <laughs> name inserting any other type of issue wrong. And I just was like, you know, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not diabetes, right? Like I do all these things. I, I use non-toxic cookware. I, I filter my, you know what I mean? I'm like, I do all of the things. I don't mm. drink sugar pop, like all these things. And he, my antibodies proved that I had it. My A1C at that point, um, cause I was taking a little bit of insulin went down to 10, but still that's high. And he was like, okay, well, I think you should be on a pump and you should do this. And I'm like, you can need to wear a, um, a device that's going to tell you your blood sugar all the time. And I was like, 
what I just like imagine having all of these devices on me, like, you know, like, like sticking out of me and like walking around like a, like a robot. Right. And I remember my diabetes educator put a CGM on me and she was like, Oh, well you're thin. So you don't have a lot of space to like put, I'm sure you, cause you know, you're, you're very fit too. So I'm sure you probably have some issues with it reading well, because there isn't a lot to like grab onto at times. Um, and so I just remember looking at myself in the mirror with this device. I had it on my side at the time. And I just, I sent a picture to my girlfriend and I was like, I look like a robot. Like how, <laughs> it, how is this my life? Right. And it, it just, I think for the first couple months I was just in denial. I didn't talk about it. I kept it a secret. I didn't tell my parents. Um, I, I, I just like was just kind of isolated alone and I felt like really ashamed and embarrassed about it. Um, because I felt like it was something I did. Um, you know what I mean? And I just, it, it was, it made me feel very like just shameful and I don't know why, you know, and very resentful. I was very angry. Um, and I would like, I don't, I, this is kind of weird, but I remember I would just watch people on TV, just eating without a care in the world. And I'm like, must be nice. And I think it's so hard for me because I was diagnosed so late later in my life that I remember I had all these things, right? I did, I did it all. I was, I was able to eat whatever I wanted. I was able to eat fast food without a care. I was able to eat a whole bag of Sour Patch Kids, like all these things. And now it's, I have to constantly be mindful of what I'm eating. And I think in turn, that is kind of a positive um, because now I'm able to just kind of adjust how I feel my body in a better way and not just be sitting on the couch, snacking away mindlessly. Yeah, it's one of those, it's almost like a constant debate that, that I have, like even in my own head or, or with guests that we have of like, is it better to be diagnosed later or is it better to be diagnosed younger? Because when you're younger, you don't know any different. Mm -hmm. Whereas and I suppose on the opposite flip side, it's like, well, when I'm older, I'm what well, I should be mature. I, sh mm -hmm. I am responsible of my health. I can kind of take action on the things that I need to take action on. But it's that thought of you're fully aware of the change that's mm -hmm. occurred. Mm -hmm. There was loads that went on there, right? And I can, <laughs> I can, uh, I can appreciate and, and relate with the overwhelm and the stress mm -hmm. and the uncertainty. But something that stood out to me there, Kim, was you went to your hormone specialist. They essentially announced that you are diabetic or are probably mm -hmm. diabetic. And then it was like a two week period until you went to your endo. What was that two weeks like? It was literally, I, I think I was just like in a fog. I remember the next day I messaged my boss and I was like, I basically like I had terminal cancer, right? I was like, I am I was just was diagnosed with type one diabetes. Like, I don't know. My, my hormone specialist told me I need to take time off work to adjust to my new lifestyle. And I'm like, what? I was just so overwhelmed, like beyond overwhelmed. And I just remember just crying all the time, <laughs> which sounds very bad, but I, I, you know, it's in a way I was grieving my old life, right? I was grieving how I was able to live bef before my diabetic, uh, diagnosis. And it just, those two weeks, I just, I remember I was like, I don't know. I, I, and I all like, I truly, truly, truly thought I didn't have it. 
I was like, there's no way it's a thyroid issue. Oh, maybe I'm taking this supplement. That's probably spiking my blood sugar or because like I said, I had no symptoms. I didn't feel bad. I had a ton of energy. I would, I still was working out. Like I was sleeping fine. Like everything was fine. Like, and you know, now looking back, I lost a lot of weight. Um, and I'm five, seven. So you know, it, I'm a little like taller. So sometimes my weight evens out a little bit. So, but also I was like, cool, I'm eating what I want and working out and still losing weight. Like this is great. Um, but I didn't really put two and two together at the time. Cause I still was in denial. So I feel like those two weeks, it was just a lot of anger and denial. Um, and then when I did finally see the doctor, he was like, let me look at your feet and you got to get your eye exam. And, and I was like, Oh, that's when it just really clicked for me when I was like, Oh shit. Like I, Oh, sorry. Um, I was like, (laughs) I, I, I have diabetes and it was in that moment where I was like, you know what? I could either wallow in it and be depressed and sad and ignore it and all the things, or I can try to use this for some good. And so I just remember, I was like, okay, I'm going to be public about it. I'm going to use whatever platform I have to be able to advocate for others that might not think that, you know, maybe they're older in life and they are having symptoms and they're not getting blood work or, you know, whatever, because as you know, diabetes can go undetected for a very long time until you are your body is like basically shutting down. Like we can't do this anymore. Um, cause your body adapts, your body's main goal is to keep you alive and it will do whatever it can to continue to keep you alive, whatever else is happening. Right. So it just was, it, it was that shift for me where I was like, okay, I, I gotta do something about this. I can't just let this take over. And it, it's hard there. I definitely have hard days. Like I, I have burnout already. I'm like, oh my God, I'm only seven months in and I have burnout and like people that <laughs> have been dealing with forever. Like, are you kidding? Um, and you know, it just, it, it's a way of, it's a mindset thing. I feel, I feel like, you know, like there are days where I have 10 mental breakdowns, right? You know, my insulin feels like it's water going in. I ate something wrong. I'm too stressed. I slept an hour less. So my blood sugars decided to be spike up for no reason. And those are the days where I'm like, oh, but then there's days like, right? Like right now, like I forgot I had diabetes, you know, like it just, it's just a weird, it's very weird, but it's because you feel fine. You know, you, you walk around and you're like, no one would know that you and I have diabetes. Like if we, if we went to a restaurant and we just ordered food and no one saw us do any injections, nothing, no one would know. And it's, it's wild. It's just like this wild thing to me that it's like very hard for me to comprehend like that, you know, it's this invisible illness, but it's something that takes over every minute of every day. (laughs) Mm. You know, it's it's interesting to even hear you speak about it, like in in such a in such a way that's like clearly so fresh to you, mm-hmm. because even from my own perspective, I'd say Kim, I've told like my quote unquote diagnosis story close to a hundred times, yeah, and that's touching on near twelve years ago, and sometimes when I tell my diagnosis story or I I think back to that time it's now gotten to a stage where I'm like do I do I actually remember it or am I just remembering it 
because I've told it so much. Mm-hmm. And it's strange sometimes when I think about it because it's like because diabetes now like is is just a part like a big part of me, I'm almost desensitized to the emotion around when I was diagnosed. Mm. So to hear you speak about it, because look, it was seven months ago. It's almost reminding me of the emotion, truly (laughs) kind of what I felt. And, and I can definitely resonate and relate to that overwhelm and the uncertainty Mm -hmm. and that feeling of almost every moment of the day being consumed by it in a strange sort of way. When you were told initially by the hormone specialist and then let's say confirmed with the endo, was there any sense of relief? Like, did you feel better when you definitely knew or did you feel worse? Um, that's a good question. Um, I would say I felt worse, honestly, um, cause I was in such denial that I had it. Um, I almost was looking for him to say, oh yeah, you know, it's thyroid related or, you know, whatever. And it was just kind of like, I don't want to say a disappointment, um, but it just, it, it was like, oh, okay. And then I just remember leaving and this was like right around Thanksgiving. Um, and so I had some time off from work and I was just sitting there and I went to go eat something. And I remember I was like, oh, I, I need to get myself insulin before I do that. And at this time I didn't, I think I was still on just long acting at this point. I can't remember. I think I, I don't think I started fast acting until December. Um, cause I think, you know, whatever, everyone was trying to figure out what was happening, blah, blah. Um, and so I just remember being like, oh, I have to, and I have to wait 15 minutes and I have to see what my blood sugar is before that'll help influence how many units I give or what am I eating? How am I feeling today? Like it, it just was, I just feel like I was like, wow, this is, this is a lot. This is a lot. And I was like, I don't know how people do it. I really don't know how people do it. And I was like, this is something I have to do for the rest of my life every single day. till the day I die, this is what I'm going to do. And I just remember feeling like it was just like doom almost. And it's, I don't feel that way anymore. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm coming out of that kind of resentment, anger, doom and gloom type of phase. Um, definitely still have my moments. Um, but I just feel like a lot stronger now. Um, because I just feel like a badass for being able to like keep myself <laughs> alive, Yeah, <laughs> you know? So it's like, Yes, I felt worse about it, but now I feel good because, and I even asked, um, my boyfriend's name is Joe, I even asked Joe about it. I was like, how do you feel, right? Because our partners, like they are, I'm always like, how many units for that? You know, he's like, I think he's like a diabetic by proxy, but um, like, I, he was like, I feel good now that you know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I did weirdly feel a shift after I was taking insulin and like, I feel I had way more energy in my workouts. I you know, I felt like I wasn't waking up feeling hungover, you know, cause you know, when you have like a high or a low, like you can feel hungover waking up without having any alcohol. And I'm like, that's so weird. I was like, Oh, I have adrenal fatigue, you know? Cause you Google like, why do you feel hungover waking up without alcohol? I'm like, I have adrenal <laughs> fatigue and like all these things, but like 
now that I'm on insulin and I know what's going on with my body, it's, it, it, I feel so much better. And it's crazy because I was like, I had no symptoms, but now looking back and reflecting, it's like, wow, okay, that was probably one that was, you know what I mean? And, and so now I really feel a lot stronger. Um, so that was a really long way to answer it, but I feel like at first it was worse, but now looking back, I'm able to say that it was a I'm very blessed to be able to be diagnosed without going in DKA, without going in the hospital, without that overwhelm of like doctors being like, here you go. Um, I did have it in a different aspect. Um, I was in more of a safe environment. I feel like like sometimes you're too vulnerable when you're in a hospital. Um, And so I was able to just like grieve on my own without like being around a ton of, you know, doctors and stuff like poking at you like, oh, Here's your insulin Mm. pen. Here's Mm. how you put it into an orange. Mm. Um, It took me probably (laughs) a month, maybe, yeah, a month to inject myself. (laughs) My boyfriend was doing it for me. I I just couldn't do it. I could not do it. It was like a mental block. I just could not do it. I don't know why. I just couldn't do it. I could put a CGM on, but I couldn't inject myself. Why do you think you couldn't inject yourself, but you could put a CGM on? Because um, like they're different, but they're kind of the same. Yeah. Where where was the resistance coming from with the insulin? Because I, I feel like to me that insulin was like the thing that I need. You know, I don't know. It was like a because it had a needle, and it just felt like smelled like a hospital. It smelled like mm. you know old people like it just made me feel old it made me feel old and like broken and whatever and but like the cgm i was like oh this is cool like i can check on my watch i can check on my phone i can see what's happening like that was the way i can control like i could control it like the insulin i just felt was like it was just scary with like the needle and poking my skin and like putting it in my i just i don't know it just was a weird i don't i don't know i can't Mm. But I feel it's, it's like, you know, no, no thing. I'm like, I went to dinner last night with friends and I was like, okay, I had shorts on. So I was like, oh, perfect access. I'll just do it right there. No one, no one's a wiser, right? It's just like, it's just autopilot now. And before I'm like, what is this thing? I can't have it near me. I was like, I don't want to see. <laughs> when you talk about Kim, the mental and the emotional and the physical, and as you say yourself, like that feeling of doom for the long term and obviously as we as we both know and whoever's listening knows the intricacies of the physical things we need to mm-hmm. do each day what do you feel kim was the biggest change for you with that like flick of the switch diagnosis moment um it probably is like when i am out with friends or just outside of my home eating where everyone's like, oh, why don't we get this and this and this? And I'm constantly like, okay, that's probably going to be this many carbs or this is going to spike really quickly. What kind of oil are they using to cook it in? Because I know that specific oils, like my body can't digest it well. So it's going to spike my blood sugar. And it's like all of that within someone saying, hey, Kim, do you want to get fried zucchini planks? You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's just so different that I just can't, I, I look, I have to look up menus before so I can plan accordingly. I'm very, very type A. Um, I I have to have control and around a lot of things. And I think that's one thing that diabetes is like, 
you can't, you can't control me. Um, you can, if you want, you can try, but it's, it's just, I just feel like the eating out component when I'm around friends or even really eating out in general, like I had, oh my gosh, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but we went out to dinner a couple days ago and, um, uh, usually, you know, I will inject probably about five to seven minutes after we put our order in. Cause usually they come, you know, call it 15, 20 minutes after that. So perfect. Great. Um, well, my food didn't come till 45 minutes later mm. and I gave myself insulin and I was freaking out. I was freaking out. I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to go low. I'm going to pass out in this restaurant. Like immediately, you know, worst case scenario. And, you know, I did go low. It was annoying. And, you know, I, my food eventually came. I like ended up, you know, eating some, some fries before just to like, <laughs> to help something. Um, and, and I was, it was fine. I, you know, I went down low, but I was able to come back up, but like, that was a very scary moment. And like, that's something that like is the biggest, I'm just thinking eating out in general is like the biggest change for me because it's like, you know, we usually will get an appetizer and we'll get a meal and then maybe we'll get dessert and like, I'll have a glass of wine before, but like, I can't, I don't ever, ever, ever drink on an empty stomach. Um, if I'm, if I'm doing that, I make sure I have like nuts or something to, to, um, go with it. Um, so it's just like, it's the eating out component that has just been like, the hardest thing for me to wrap my head around because when I'm at home, you know, I, I'm able to, you know, eat when I want or, you know, be able to control that more versus like being out and like being that annoying person, like, Oh, sorry. Hi, I'm diabetic. Can I get my food? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's so it, it, that's the, I would say that would be the hardest mm. thing that I've had to adapt to. Can I give you a couple of tips around yes. eating out that I find really helpful. And I can go into these in a lot more detail, but to keep it nice and short, right? Three things that I do anytime I'm eating out that really, really help, just specifically bloods wise. Number one is because of the uncertainty around when the food is actually coming out, it's impossible to know how much insulin do I need because I actually mm -hmm. haven't seen the meal. Right. And when do I need to take my insulin because I don't know when it's going to be there. So what I do personally is I order a small side salad at the start, right? I wait for my main course to come out. I look at the meal. I judge the amount of insulin I need. Then I take my insulin. Now, your food may go slightly lukewarm, but yeah. I've taken my insulin I use the time that it takes me to eat the side salad as my pre-bolus time. The mm -hmm. fiber in the salad also helps with the glucose spike. Then when the time passes, I eat the meal. As opposed to just thinking, how much insulin do I need for the meal? When do I think it's going to come out? Yeah. And it just gives me a lot more confidence around the dose that I'm taking and when I'm taking it. Oh, Second I thing like I do that. is inevitably I increase my insulin dose when I'm eating out or like a takeaway food because mm -hmm. from my experience, 99 times out of hundred, my blood sugar will go higher with restaurant food or takeaway food because there's generally like more crap in it than we think there yeah. is. So I increase whatever my instinctive thought of this is the amount of insulin I need. I add on 20% because I'm at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Then the third thing I do is because I'm at a restaurant, it's probably higher in fat. 
probably quite high in protein mm-hmm. too. Inevitably, I will see a delayed spike, so I split my dose. So there are mm-hmm. three things that I do. Side salad to start, increase my dose by 20% minimum, split my insulin dose. Mm-hmm. Keep it in mind next time you're doing it. Hopefully it'll I help. will. The, <laughs> right. I will. The, si- right. the side salad thing is a game changer, I feel. <laughs> there you go. You, you can like order your drink and then order a salad and it shouldn't take 45 minutes to come. Exactly. Because the, the, and it's happened to me plenty of times, Kim, where you think, oh, my food's probably coming out in 20 minutes. It's going to take my insulin. But it doesn't. And then you just plummet mm-hmm. and sure, mm-hmm. the dinner's ruined then. Yes. One of the yeah. things that you said that stood out to me about pretty much like the moment you were diagnosed or the day after, I think it was, you said to Joe, you're going to do everything you can to raise awareness and educate people as much as you can on whatever platform that may be. Why do you think you had that almost immediate response? Because from probably hundreds of conversations, Kim, I've had, it's more common for people to kind of retreat back into themselves Mm -hmm. and think, I don't want to use this term, but for lack of a better one, that kind of victim mentality of, you know, Mm -hmm. this, this is terrible. Why has it happened to me, et cetera, et cetera. Why do you feel you had that response of, I'm going to put myself out there? Um, I think because I went through such a ringamarole of, figuring out what was going on. And I feel other people might have that feeling and they just take whatever one doctor says and they go on about their business when they're still having specific symptoms. Um, And then another thing was, I remember I was talking to a therapist at the time and she said to me, oh, you're too old to have diabetes. (laughs) And I was like, sure, she's not a doctor or whatever, but she's still kind of in technically in the medical field. So at least maybe have some sort of some knowledge of the the types of diabetes out there and how like, you know, it's not called juvenile diabetes anymore. That was debunked about 30 years ago. So, you know, let's, let's move on. Um, and I was like, you know what? People don't know. People just think diabetes is type two diabetes. You are, you know, overweight. You don't work out. All you do is eat bonbons and McDonald's and now you have diabetes. And like, and I just remember hearing, you know, so many quote or like jokes and things of like, Oh, here's a plate of chocolate. That's diabetes on a plate and these types of things. And I was like, you know what? It's, there's a huge stigma around it. And I felt that way. I took, I was like, Oh my God, Ugh, I'm so embarrassed, but that's why I want to show like, hi, I am very fit, active. I eat very healthy. I try to avoid as many chemicals as I possibly can. I educate myself on these things. Like I take very, very good care of myself and I got diabetes, but you know what? If I would have asked my parents of like our lineage of whatever, I found out that my great grandpa had diabetes. My uncle has diabetes. So it's like, if I would have known that, if I would have asked, I would have been able to get tested earlier or, you know, all the what ifs. And so I just wanted people to know, like, ask those questions, find out what's going on and not just diabetes, right? Like 
other types of diet disease and conditions and things like that. So I just remember being like, I want to help people with this. Like, yes, it's a shitty situation. I'm not going to just retreat in whatever. Like I want to share what I do. I want to help someone. I want to like help, help people if they just got diagnosed and they're lost and scared. And like, what do I do? Or, you know, go back and forth with people. I've met so many amazing people in the diabetes community on Instagram. And it's just like, it's so awesome that there's this community. And I was like, I want to be a part of that. I want to help at least one person advocate for themselves. And actually like one of my best friends, she did that. She was like, okay, I'm, you convinced me, I'm going to go get blood work done. And she, you know, was able to diagnose some things that she was dealing with. And now she has answers and she's on her way to feeling better. And I've had so many people message me like, oh yeah, my, my family, there's a, you know, family history of diabetes. I'm going to get diet. I'm going to get tested and like all these things. And so it's like, I want to continue to do that. I want to help as much as I can. I want to be transparent of like how I manage my diabetes, what I'm doing. It might help people. Um, I love to travel and I was like, not letting this get me down. I just got back two weeks in Europe. My blood sugars were angels, um, probably cause they love <laughs> Europe and I feel like I belong in Europe, but you know, um, it's just like that. that I just want to help people. I was like, I, I feel like such a, a pool to do that. Um, because I didn't have anyone. I, it, my parents would like barely talk about my brother's, um, diabetes. He's very in a negative headspace about his diabetes. Um, and it's always been this like negative connotation. And so I want to just flip that script because I don't feel like it has to be a negative thing. Um, I feel like there's a lot of positive things and silver linings that come out of having diabetes. And so I just want to show the world that it's like, yeah, you can still live your life. It's, you can still live a full life without, you know, any complications, you know, you're not always just going to lose a foot when you're 70, you're not going to go blind. Um, you know, like what they, where they scare you, their scare tactics of all the complications mm. is one second after you're diagnosed, you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> Give me a second to digest before you're telling me that I'm going to like lose my feet. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. lose feeling in my hands and like all these things. So, um, yeah, I just like really want people to know that it's, it's not this negative, terrible disease. Sure. You can say it is, um, no one wants to have it. You know, we didn't, we didn't choose to have it, but there's a way to change that mindset to be more positive because I feel like mental health is a huge component of managing your diabetes in a good way. It's fascinating to and really, really refreshing to hear you kind of talk so confidently and so positively about it just after seven months, Kim. And mm-hmm. the way I'm looking at it, and I, I always have like these diabetes thoughts spiraling through my mind anytime <laughs> I'm having conversations like this. But the way I'm looking at it is, and, and this is how the impact of your perspective Like this is how much of a positive impact it has because essentially even though I've been living with diabetes for 11 and a half years and you've been living with it for seven months, it's still exactly the same condition. Like it's exactly Mm -hmm. the same condition. Mm -hmm. But how you think about it and how you live with it and how you view it completely dictates how you live with it. Mm -hmm. Because I have spoken to over the years people who have been diabetic for 20 years who are still in that space of Mm -hmm. it's just a negative. It's just a negative. It's just a negative. Or they have a completely different perspective to how you have 
just after seven months. And even though you and that hypothetical person that I'm speaking about have the same condition, because you are looking at it in a different way, you live with it in a completely different way. Like you manage it in a completely different way. And that's something that I just constantly want to drill into this podcast. Like nobody wants diabetes. Nobody wants to take insulin. Nobody wants to have to pre-bolus. But when you do those things consciously and actively and you're aware of the benefit that they have and you fit them into your day as part of your routine, you still have diabetes, but you have a greater ability to focus on the things that you want to focus on in your life as opposed to thinking, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do this? So even just from my perspective to hear you speak as you do just after seven months is, is amazing. So, um, huge credit to you. It's great to hear. Oh, good. Yeah. With the type of person that you feel you are, you are, and I think you said in the email, Kim, that you you describe yourself as like a type A personality. (laughs) Do you feel like the characteristics you have as a person have benefited you in relation to how you manage your diabetes? Yes. Yes. Um, I remember saying, I'm going to be the best diabetic out there. (laughs) I was like, I am, I'm going to be the best thing I can do. I'm going to do all these things and I'm going to, I'm going to be great. And I'm going to, I'm going to control it. I'm going to pre-bolus and I'm going to, you know, but like my food really doesn't change. Cause like I said, I eat very healthy, eat very clean. I'm a, I make sure I read all labels, you know, because there, I have found that my body digests like different things worse. Right. So like, you know, the seed oils and all those things that they put like in stuff, I always make sure I'm looking at that. So I feel like that has helped me to prepare for what, you know, how my, my lifestyle change. Cause a lot of people probably, I don't know, I can only speak for myself, but like my food intake didn't really change. Um, what was the big change is my obsession with checking my CGM every five minutes or every minute, actually okay. looking at the trends and being like, Oh my God, it's, it's an arrow up or it's, it, it's arrow across. Like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta hurry up and get myself insulin and, and blah, blah, blah. And like, like I said, Joe's an engineer and he was like, that's just the way they design the app. You got to look at the trends. Don't look at the arrows. So if anybody can find benefit in that, like, don't be a crazy. If it's three, four arrows up, just look at the trend on the graph. Sure. It's going up. Test your blood. Keep testing your blood. That is, that is like, then I just become obsessive about testing my blood every five seconds. So I feel as if my personality is kind of, um, I'm a little better about it now, but I would always just be like, oh my God, look. But now, now after I eat, I set a timer for 30 minutes. I make it a point to not look at my, at my CGM for 30 minutes. I got to give myself and my insulin time to work together to help. And before I would be like, Okay, I just ate five minutes ago. We're we're steady. I just ate seven minutes ago. We're steady. You know, it was like constant, and it was just bringing me down. And so I was like, I can't. I can't. This is not sustainable. Um, and so you know, yes, my Type A personality allows me to ha- make sure I have structure. Make sure I pre. I always pre bolus, um, unless like I'm going for a walk, which I found. God. Heaven forbid we go for a walk, right? And like, (laughs) I mean, goodness, I'm like not even. How dare we? How dare we? Goodness. Um, Because like where we live, we live on 
it's like it like there's a trail around us and so i love to take a walk for my mental health i've been doing it ever since the pandemic and so i found like okay if i go right after lunch i don't need to pre-bolus as much because i'm going for a walk Mm -hmm. and so now i can have control around how i'm doing those types of things because i'm learning and adapting to how my body is reacting to stuff and like with me you know with like female hormones we it's like there could be i could be insulin resistant for three days and it's just because of hormones and i'm like and it's frustrating and that's the time where my type a is like full-fledged right i I just feel like i'm pumping in insulin and it's water and i'm eating the same thing as i did the day before and it was fine and like all of that so it's like when those instances come up it's very frustrating and it like is defeating but then i just have to remember and, and pay attention to okay so that was on may 9th so let's look at what happened in June 9th or, you know, around that time. Am I having the same thing? Can I identify patterns? And so I use my, put my obsession in that type of productive way instead of always checking my watch or my phone or just immediately going to, like, I have my pen with me right now because I wasn't sure how my body would react to what I had for breakfast. And I was like, mm. I don't want to like, and I also have blueberries because I was like, I don't want to go low. So I'm like, I always am prepared because I'm on my top floor and I, and I'm in meetings, like I was saying, so I don't always have time to run down to get, you know, something or, or whatever. So I always like, I have snacks, I have, so I just feel like, you know, that, that is a positive for me to always be prepared, you know, just because I know some people might not, might not think about that, or, you know, we can't just leave the house. <laughs> you always have to leave the house with a snack. <laughs> Always have to be prepared more so than the the quote unquote average person. Yes. And you're touching on something there, Kim, that I think is really important for people to firstly even just be aware of. It's like how how quickly we can become obsessed with mm-hmm. constantly checking our CGM. Yep. And I feel I I would consider myself similar to you in the way of like I like to have things in order and I like to have yep. things in control and, and I like to feel in control of whatever I'm doing. My diabetes included. But for me, and even just people that we've worked with over the years inside the program as well, there's a very thin line between optimizing your management and completely obsessing over your management. Yeah. And when you completely obsess around your management, that obviously has it's negative impacts too, because you're constantly checking and you're constantly mm-hmm. second guessing yourself. You're constantly doubting what you've done. You're constantly thinking, you know, why am I going high? Why am I going low? And you have this expectation that everything should be perfect when we both know and whoever's listening knows too, that it's never going to happen. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that you kind of outlined your tip around <laughs> setting a timer 30 minutes after you eat, because the reality of it is if we take insulin and eat food, if we check our blood sugars 10 times in the following 30 minutes, we're not getting any information or data anyway. Right. Because our insulin and our food is still doing its thing. So Mm -hmm. having that kind of, I suppose, having the boundaries set with your CGM or when you check or how many times you check is, in my opinion, vital. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. you're just setting yourself up for mental exhaustion, to say the very least. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and another thing is I will like, I'll do the dishes or, you know, I'll move my body a little bit after just to get things moving. Um, and, and that helps keep my mind off of it too. Um, because you know, like you said, it's checking every five seconds. It's like, you're not going to see anything, you Mm. know? And, and I think another thing with like the high fat and high protein is like, Man, can't we just count carbs? Like, why? <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, come on, give us a break here. Like, come on, like, ugh, it just, I still haven't really fully, ma- I'm almost fully mastered pizza. Um, and when I say pizza, it's like, we make our pizza, we make the dough. I know what sauce I'm using. I know what cheese I'm using. I know what meat I'm using. I haven't dabbled in restaurant pizza yet. I'm, I don't know if and when I'll get there. Um, but it's like, you know, if it was just counting carbs or taking insulin, like in the morning, I feel like diabetes would be just way easier to manage. Mm. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> it would be very nice. And then we throw in stress, dehydration, sleep, mm-hmm. hormones, time of day, yep. Yep. activity, movement. Just keep adding additional layers of complication. Yep. That's what yep. I always say. Sometimes, some, sometimes I almost laugh to myself because I think, you know, I've considered my timing of insulin, my dose the carbs, the protein, the fat. Mm-hmm. And then I think about something else and it's almost comical because it's like, just keep adding it on, just keep adding mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. an additional layer of complexity. Kim, obviously you have had a relationship, let's call it, with diabetes for mm-hmm. pretty much your whole life because mm-hmm. your older brother of 14 years was diagnosed when he was nine years old, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You yourself said growing up and seeing how he manages his diabetes was traumatizing. Can you tell us a bit more about that? That was part one of this episode. If you are listening to this on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow. But if you're listening on any other day, part two is the next episode on our list.